So we have the tribes uh, divvied up, the inheritances have been laid out, and these last few chapters, the last, what is it, four chapters we have here in Joshua, really just some of the finishing touches, some of the cleanup, some of the, uh, what we would consider minor uh, things uh, that uh, have to be done before we go into the time of the judges. Uh, chapter 20, we will see God's justice will be put on display in these cities of refuge. And then in chapter 21, uh, we see that the uh, Levites, God is going to provide for the Levites with cities when they were given no land. And we'll see some of the pertinent, the, some of the importances of, of each of those. Let's look at chapter 20. I'm going to read the first six verses first, then we'll come back to the rest of it. Uh, the Lord said, then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of God, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is the high priest at the time, then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So following through on the instructions of Moses, we could go uh, num uh, Numbers 35 throughout deals with this murder and manslaughter, the issue, you know, the, uh, and, and so what they're doing, Moses had said three cities in the land. When you invade the land, you'll get three, make three cities for refuge. And if God happens to enlarge your borders, put three on the other side of the Jordan River also. So we'll see that there'll be six cities of refuge for the manslayer, the, for manslaughter. Not for the murderer, but for manslaughter. Uh, one who kills without intent. In fact, in Deuteronomy 19.6, the one who, is, who commits manslaughter uh, says he does not deserve to die. Moses preaching God's word to the people says he doesn't deserve to die. So what, God, what we see from God's law is the, the, the motives and the intents uh, uh, are, are uh, taken into account when it comes to God's law. Um, I'm not sure where this quote, a man without a murderer's heart should not suffer a murderer's punishment would be the, the principle there. So they set up these cities of refuge for temporary refuge uh, from the avenger of blood. 
Now, this person, the avenger of blood, is a technical term. It's the nearest, a near relative to the one who has died is not only given the privilege, if you will, to chase someone down, to avenge the blood against the family, but it also, he also has the responsibility. So when manslaughter, when someone's killed, this relative is charged and privileged with taking vengeance. But for the manslayer, he needs to go into the city of refuge and he's safe for the time being. It's just a temporary uh, thing. You know, it might, uh, in the heat of the moment, take, take uh, the law into his own hands before the case is heard and played out. So really no vigilante justice. Uh, the vengeance really belongs to the Lord, but justice is meted out here in God's way, and that must win the day. Uh, and so he sets up these cities of refuge, beginning in verse 7. Uh, we're going to see these cities of refuge. Let's see. Okay, let's just look at verse 7. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, and beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan, the tribe of Manasseh. So there's the cities. If we were to go to Numbers, it would say, uh, map out the land, sort of put them in three sections on each side, and have these cities of refuge where if someone does this, unintentionally kills somebody, they don't have to go all the way from one end of the country to the next. So there's the city of refuge, refuges as they're set up, strategically located. They're told to... Pave the or fix the roads so that there's easy access to these to get into the safety for the sake of uh, the manslayer. Uh, really, that's the mercy of God. As his justice, he's seeking justice among his people, and so God provides this as mercy. It's the and we also have the picture of the sanctity of life uh, that's foundational to all of God's laws. Both the life of the deceased and the life of the one who is the one, the manslayer. Uh, and, but though it's protection from him, it's also exile. It's in one sense a prison. Because the case is going to be heard, uh, and yes, he's protected, but when the case is heard, even if he wins his case, and it is manslaughter, notice he can't leave until the high priest dies. You hope you don't get a young judge. But he's there, so it's not only protection, but it's also incarceration in a sense uh, for him uh, and if he leaves before 
we can, and reading from Numbers 35, if he leaves before the high priest dies, he's fair game for the avenger of blood. His protection is gone. So it's both a refuge and it is also a prison. Even if it's unintentional, uh, the costliness of taking a life uh, is uh, part of God's justice. Uh, so, uh, Walt Kaiser, life made in God's image remains sacred. Genesis 9, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Um, there is a sense in which this could be a foreshadowing of the death of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I think uh, not everybody interprets it this way, but let me just play it out for you. I'm reading from Numbers 35. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read four verses right now from Numbers 35. He's in the middle of a thought about murder and manslaughter. And he says, moreover, you, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. So if he goes before the high priest dies, uh, no ransom, he cannot, he's, he's fair game. Verse 33, you shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. So this blood guilt pollutes the land. The, the, the blood uh, that is uh, shed by the murderer, even by the manslaughterer, manslayer, but there's this uh, provision for him. Murder is atoned for by the execution of the murderer. Capital punishment, no questions when it's deemed to be true, capital murder. Uh, uh, he is, uh, the murderer is uh, executed. Manslaughter there is a sense or implication, if you will, of, rans of a ransom being paid by the high priest who dies. When the high priest dies, he is free to go home and resume his normal life. The avenger of blood has no claim upon him. So uh, it seems to teach that the high priest's death is a sort of rans ransom. Uh, that in some way his death atones, it satisfies God's judgment over the manslaughter. Uh, only his death can release the offender from the banishment so that he may return home. And so the question is, is this not a picture of our merciful and faithful high priest? Um, who made propitiation for our sins? 
Not everybody would look at it that way, but the death of the high priest frees the manslaughterer. And the death of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, frees us. Uh, and then verse 9, this chapter closes. Anybody want to comment on that or have questions or answers or something? Sounds like it, maybe. Yeah. Okay, verse 9. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood Till, the, till he stood before the congregation. I, I, my notes here, I put the Jews' big miss. Because even in Joshua's day, God is making provision for non-Jews. The Jews did not recognize God even considered them. Whether they didn't, uh, whether they just ignore this idea of the foreigners being included, not just in this situation, but in all kinds of situations. You know, they think they're the only ones who are God's people, those who are non-believing Jews who, who uh, just uh, think that they're it as God's people. Here, it's the uh, sojourners are included in being safe in the cities of refuge. The foreigners, those who are really kind of uh, maybe dwelling in the land, but not Jewish. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know if that's fair to the Jews, but I, I, it's a summarizing statement of the first eight verses. And I just, you know, even under the old covenant, God's justice includes the foreigner. Uh, God's justice is part of natural law, the natural law of God. You know, we don't have the Mosaic law yet, uh, but God's... Natural law uh, is to include them. It's according to his character. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. That's in Deuteronomy. Um, so God's mercy extends beyond the Jews. Uh, and again, they either didn't get it or they ignored it. But here it is where God delights even to bring those who are far off near to him in one sense, uh, again, thinking of the language in Ephesians where uh, he's broken down the wall. The Jews ignored or dismissed God's mercy, extending mercy or grace to non-Jews. So that's chapter 20, the cities of refuge that put God's justice on display. Now in chapter 20, the cities and pasture lands uh, allotted to Levi, so God's provision for the Levites uh, is on display here where the cities of the Levites are outlined. Uh, we can look at verse 4. Let's see, yeah, I've... 
Yeah, okay, we can do this. Verse 4. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron, the priest, received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. So there's, uh, this is, and, and then there's 13 cities that the Levites are given within that circle. Okay? The Kohathites who are ancestors of Aaron. Verse 5, the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So there's 10 cities here in that circle. So we got 13 and 10. Then the next verse, the Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher and the tribe of Naphtali, 13 cities. There's those, 13 cities. And then the next verse, the Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, uh, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. So there's 13, 13, 12, 10, 26, what is that, 26, 38, and how many? 48. Yeah, 48 cities. So these are Levites. What's the Levite job? Okay, priests. And they also did some teaching of the law. So we've got the, the spiritual men spread out throughout the whole country in these cities. Uh, Go back to verse 1 now, and let's read the first three verses. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. And then those next four verses list out uh, uh, in general where these cities are. So again, they're calling upon the law that God gave to Moses. The promises of Moses are now being fulfilled here at the end of Joshua. Um, and uh, so they, uh, the Lord instructed Moses to give the Levite cities for their flocks mostly and then where to live. They remembered God's promise and they come to Joshua, Eleazar the priest and the people, the leaders of Israel, and they asked for what the Lord had authorized through Moses. Um, if you remember, Caleb did the same thing when he came and asked for his land. Then the daughters of Zelophehad came and asked Joshua and the priest for a portion of the land because there were no sons. Now these Levites are doing the very same thing. Uh, look at verse 2, just... The Lord commanded that we be given cities to dwell. 
um, it's it's um, isn't that the basis for our prayer for our prayers we come to God and we claim the promises if you will we ask God for what he has promised to give us and if we ask for what he has promised to give us we know that we're not asking for stuff out of bounds these have been promised they're just coming to God they're not, you know, not reminding God as if he forgot, but they're calling upon God to fulfill, or Joshua and the priests to fulfill, to uh, allow God's promises to be fulfilled. And so that's what we do when we pray. We seek answers to our prayers through uh, uh, asking for what God has promised us. We know, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer, not a prayer to be prayed or the disciples' prayer, however you want to call it. Uh, Jesus didn't give us a prayer to pray, but he gave us a model, a, 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 uh, the principles of prayer. And we can pray God to answer accordingly, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. And when we ask for that to happen, we know we're not out of bounds in what we're asking God to provide. He's, Jesus told us we're praying the very words of Christ back to the Father. And so there's, here's a model, if you will, of how to approach and how to ask uh, the Lord. I know they didn't go to the Lord with this. They went to Joshua, but that's the, they're the ones who would, who would uh, meet these things out. So when we ask according to what Jesus taught us, to ask for in the prayer, we know we aren't uh, going overboard. Uh, you know, uh, we ask for wisdom. James tells us to ask for wisdom. When the trials come, if you don't have wisdom, how to deal with the trial there in James chapter 1. Count it all joy. The Lord is at work in your life when trials come, and if you need wisdom for it, ask the Lord and he'll give it because he's promised that he would. He would just be fulfilling his promises. Uh, so uh, I think it was uh, Don Whitney came and did a prayer seminar early, early days of Providence and taught us pray the scriptures back to God. You know, take his promises, restate them in your own words, if you, but turn them into prayers. Pray God's word back to him. Ask God's rule to come on earth. Uh, Provide our food. And give us this day our daily bread. You know, our pantries are full. We lose a sense of that. And yet, we know that everything we have comes from him, right? I got a little bit of a picture. When we, when uh, once in France, those people just kind of, when they get off work, they, they go by the little store and they get their bread and they get their dinner for the day, you know. I mean, it's almost a daily thing that they do by going to the little delis and things in their neighborhoods. But give us this day our daily bread. You know, forgive us our trespasses. We don't, I don't know how much attention we always pay to the next phrase, as we forgive others. Forgive us just like we forgive other people. But we can ask for forgiveness 
because Jesus taught us to ask for forgiveness. Uh, so uh, the, the Levites, their provisions are being met. You know, they've been given a spiritual ministry. They didn't have any land. They offer sacrifices. They uh, care for the tabernacle and do some teaching of the word. Um, but they also need a house, a place to live. And they need a f- pasture land for their uh, flocks, for their livestock. And, you know, churches need the same. Christian ministry, the kingdom enterprise, the kingdom work needs the same. And the Lord provides for his work, both in the church and outside the church. And we do our best here to care both for both, Uh, in particular for the household of God. They own no land. They were sojourners. Remember that word sojourner in chapter 20. The foreigners, those who had no deep roots in Israel. Uh, as Israelites, well, in one sense, these Levites are uh, uh, sojourners. They don't have land. They have these cities, uh, but they really don't have land to sink their roots into. In fact, they're called, uh, Deuteronomy 18 says, 18.6, if a Levite comes from any of your towns, out of all of Israel, where he lives. And that word lives is the same soldier, where he sojourns. It's not the word of kind of, a, you know, you built your house. You poured your foundation. You built the walls. Now you're living here. No, it's the idea of soldier. You got a tent, maybe, or something like that. It's a, more a temporary uh, residence. These Levites were considered to be sojourners as Moses is preaching. David uh, in First Chronicles, we are strangers before you. He's praying to the Father. We are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding hope. So these Levites were sort of a picture, if you will, of even us. I'm a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this what barren land. What is it? I got it here. Traveling through this world of woe. And James reminds us, you know, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. But we're just kind of, you know, in one sense, we need to be rootless here. And we need to at least not have our roots too deep because we're just a passing through, right? Um, and so these Levites have been provided for uh, by, uh, by God, by promise, and now they're being given their cities. Uh, keep us humble, right? Uh, give us hope in Christ. And, uh, they've been, but they've been spread out through the land now, and they are um, to be guardians of the worship of God in these cities to maintain that uh, faithfulness to God in, in the nation as they are now beginning to settle in. Now, we'll see that quickly they turn their backs in, the, in Judges as they follow, but these Levites are scattered throughout the uh, uh, kingdom, throughout the country, 
as God's stewards, as the ambassadors. Uh, Calvin says they were everywhere to keep watch and preserve the purity of worship. And as we know, that they're called the stiff-necked people, and they are, their purity of worship was hard to maintain for only a remnant. Uh, Calvin goes on, the, the Levi, Levitical cities were bases of operation to infiltrate each tribe and teach the Lord's command, a covenant. And so every tribe is mentioned in these four circles. I've added a little fifth because Zebulun goes down with Gad and Reuben, I don't know why they're disconnected, but that's the way the Lord saw fit. They're disconnected because God said so in uh, Joshua 21. Uh, and is that, again, not what the church is to be? We're to be spread out, taking the gospel to uh, the world. Uh, we're given the charge to be the stewards of truth. Um, we're to maintain the truth in our churches and to proclaim the truth outside our churches. To try to preserve worship and teach worship of the one true and living God. Colossians 1, teaching every man that they might become mature in Christ. Or Paul to Timothy, teach those young men who will teach other young men and keep this truth passing down through the generations. Uh, and then the last three verses of chapter 21 kind of summarizing. Uh, we're, we're not going to read through the, 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 the middle there, those middle 40 verses or so, or just the particular cities that... Uh, are delineated under the outline that was given in uh, verse 4 through 7. The 43, look at chapter, uh, at verse 43 through 45, kind of a summary of the whole thing. Chapter 43 said, I mean, verse 43, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. So this is where Israel lives. This is like chapters 13 to 21. This is where they are, where Israel is presently. Uh, verse 43 kind of summarizes that. Verse 44, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. There's a summary of the first 12 chapters as they're making the conquest. And then verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. And that's just kind of a summary of the whole book of Joshua. I mean, there's concerns here, right? Do you have any concerns about what the, verse 45 says? Remembering what we've gone over? Multiple tribes are, I mean, they're still in the, there's still land to be taken. Uh, uh, certain people were not run out of the uh, place. 
That, oh, yes, for sure. Yes, that's on Israel, not on God. Um, but all in all, the Lord gave Israel all the land. Verse 43, the Lord gave Israel all the land, possessed it. They're living in it. They're settling into the promised land. They may have to go get more. They may have to finish. They should finish. But that doesn't negate the fact that the Lord had given them all of this land. Uh, the Lord gave them, verse 44, the Lord gave them rest. They were victorious in the land by conquering their uh, uh, enemies. And there may be more battles to be fought. But still, the Lord had given them rest at this point in Joshua. Um, and then, I mean, this is just kind of a summary praise to the Lord. Uh, it's better to, here's what Dale Ralph Davis encouraged us about. We kind of like to find these, these, these things to quibble over. He says, better to hear the word than to try to explain all the difficulties. Uh, yeah, uh, these three verses gather up Joshua so f this far. Um, it's kind of a doxology right here to this far in the book of Joshua, like chapter 11 in the doxology at the end of Romans 11, where those, those three uh, uh, or four verses maybe of the greatness and the glory of God at the end of his 11 chapters of doctrine and, and how marvelous is the work of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And here it's sort of, oh, the how firm the word and the promises of God. Uh, so that's chapters 21 and 22. Look at verse 43. The Lord gave Israel all the land that he swore to give to them. Verse 44. The Lord gave them just as he had sworn to their fathers. And then 44, the good promise of the that the Lord, I mean, 45, the good promises that the Lord had made. So the emphasis here is God's word has been fulfilled. Just as God swore, it's happened. And so it's a praise to the faithfulness of God. And in every case, the Lord gave what he swore. You know, important theological statements about God and who he is and Israel and God's people, but it's also giving praise and worship to God. You know, the theology that we have is not very helpful if it doesn't lead us to praising the Lord, to doxology, right? Um, and so God's faithfulness is shining through. I mean, you go to salvation history. You remember when Abraham uh, passed through the land or, or uh, and is is given uh, and is given the promise of the land in Genesis twelve, and it says at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And then in fifteen, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you the land to possess. And then in eighteen, when the uh, angels or the three men come to uh, Abraham and Sarah and say in a year from now you'll have a child and, 
Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in the years, and the way of women had ceased with Sarah. Uh, what are these? Uh, I can't remember. What, what are the odds that these promises right here in Genesis are going to be fulfilled? You know, you're not going to bet a lot of money. You're not going to do what Mattress Mac does. And, 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 and the, I mean, what's... So the promises have been made, starting in Genesis 12, at least of the land. Uh, Abraham goes through his thing, through his life. Uh, Abraham dies and didn't receive the promises. 400 years in Egypt. 40 years of rebellion in the wilderness. You know, it hardly looks like God is fulfilling his promise. But just as he swore, it happened. Uh, Be patient. The Lord broke down all the barriers, gave them victory, and his faithfulness shines through. So, that's it. That's where we are now. We'll have, we have uh, 22. The eastern tribes are now going to get to go home. Uh, Joshua will charge the leaders as he's about to die. We saw that already. And then the covenant will be renewed and the famous closing of, of uh, you do what you want to do, but me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord as Joshua ends. Anything, any questions, any comments, anything? Okay. Um, I was told we don't have catechism for the K, the pre-K and the Ks tonight. We don't have, we don't have teachers for catechism for tonight. We need a couple of volunteers to do catechism. Uh, I, I have to lead the devotion or I would do it. Uh, but uh, the next class, maybe. I don't want to. Uh, anyway, we need a couple of volunteers to work with the pre-K and the kindergarten. Is that, That's around the corner, right? Across from the nursery? Okay. I, so, if the Lord would uh, would encourage you, uh, it would be a joy to be with them, a task and a joy. Any anything before we close? Okay. Tommy, are you uh, starting the series this Sunday, or will you be continuing to preach? Or? I'm picking up from Luke. Uh, at chapter 9, verse 51, where he set his face towards Jerusalem. Kind of a turn in the book of Luke. That's where we'll be Sunday. Yeah, two classes. A marriage class that will meet in the sanctuary, right? Isn't that what we decided? Marriage class will meet in the sanctuary. That will be a video. And then the uh, how to change is that the name of it? How to Grow and Change. Uh, we'll meet in here. 
Yeah. And so that's we, a video too. That's a video also. So we have Glenn really, really <laughs> stretched to the max. His arms don't reach quite that far, but he is working on it. What else? Anything else? We will eat lunch Sunday. Which, uh, well, I think it's, tri is it Trip? Is it Paul Trip? Paul Tripp, Ted Tripp doing the marriage. Okay, so we got the Tripp brothers on. Okay. Anything else? Are we, are we okay? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Good. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your justice. We don't want justice. We thank you that your justice was satisfied in our Savior, and we can cling to him for righteousness' sake. We thank you for your provision and how it is that from beginning to end, your word puts you on display as you work out your salvation through the ages, a salvation that was uh, purposed before time began, and it will go on into eternity. And we thank you that we have these promises fulfilled over and over and because you never change. We can cling to your promises for our day in the future. And we uh, ask these things and declare these things to you. Praise your name. Amen.